My name is Christelle Donaldson, and you are listening to The Working Mom's Show, episode number 10, How to Raise Multilingual Kids, with speech specialist Liz Vanderbroek. Welcome to The Working Mom's Show. I'm your host, Christelle Donaldson, mom of two and busy professional. In this show, we explore different ways to find balance and strive as a working mom in Switzerland. We'll share practical advice and inspiration to help you prioritize your health, family and career. From self-care and mindfulness to career development or financial planning, we'll cover a range of topics to help you feel your best and achieve your goals. So join us as we dive into the challenges and joys of being a working mom and discover how to create a life that's balanced and fulfilled. In this episode, I speak with Liz, who is a speech therapist from America. Liz is the founder of The Speech Therapist Switzerland, a private practice specializing in speech therapy, especially for kids who are multilingual. With over a decade of teaching and classroom experience, Liz has worked extensively with both monolingual and multilingual students, offering parent consultations, teacher training, and accent modification services for adults. In the episode today, we address specifically how we can raise multilingual kids and you know how we can help them as parents to develop their language properly and their learning. And we address a few of the misconceptions that we have, things that we think are useful or not. And she gives practical tips and shares some stories of how family can work with a speech specialist, um, even online if you can't go in person, and the type of exercises that you can do or what you can do to help your kids develop not only the language, but also the pronunciation So, for example, we talk about the quality of language and accent over the quantity of words that we need to learn, um, about the difference of the context, whether you learn a language for school or for home or for social activities, all the exposure to a language that you can give to your kids and a lot of other things. And it was a very nice episode as usual and I encourage you to listen to it and to ask a question to Liz if you want on her social media or other platforms. So I hope you enjoy it. Hello Liz and welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's Friday. <laughs> yes, I hear you. Now I'm very happy that you're here today um, because Like I mentioned, we have very different topics to address on the podcast. And since we're talking to mothers living in Switzerland, most of them coming from overseas, I expect a lot of people here listening to the podcast will have kids being raised in different languages, one, two, three, maybe more. And this is your expertise, you're a speech specialist, and you mainly work with multilingual kids. So we have a lot to cover today on that. I'm really excited. But let's start a little bit talking about you. Tell me, how did you arrive in Switzerland and how did you get into this type of work? Oh, gosh. Are we going to take the whole hour? Just no, just about five that? minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll be quick. So I'm originally from Texas. So you might hear me say y'all, but I can't get rid of it. Um, I've been in Switzerland now for about three years. I've been a speech therapist, though, for over a decade. Um, I've had my own private practice here in Switzerland for the majority of the three years that I've lived here. Um, my 
husband actually is the reason I'm here. So yes, thank you to him. (laughs) Um, And I know we spoke briefly right before this, but it's been an interesting um, journey for me because I was originally just a monolingual speech therapist working with monolingual clients and children, where now literally 100% of the kids that I work with, as well as adults and parents, are not just bilingual, but like you said, multilingual, Swiss German, Hochdeutsch, Dutch, Finnish. I mean, just name the language. And I'm sure it's come across my computer at some point. So it's been a really fun journey to make sure that I am up to date with like the newest research on how to raise multilingual kids and what are the speech and language development facts versus myths. And what I what I can portray to to the parents and the families that I'm working with to make sure that it's all accurate and and good information. So yeah, it's been it's been fun. Yeah, I'm sure. No, it's great that you were able to I mean to notice. I guess you can't help but notice the difference between mo- uh, monolingual to multilingual. And that's the reality of Switzerland, right? In the office, everyone speaks so many languages. It's very different from many other countries, like. I come from the south of France, you come from Texas, I'm sure people speak Texan. (laughs) So you mentioned a word that uh, was great, like myths and what do you say, Uh, mix and facts or belief, I guess, Uh about raising multilingual kids. And so myself, I speak French at home and my husband speaks English, so we fall into that category. And the one I heard the most was... um, they learn language more slowly if they have to learn more than one language at a time. Yes, that that's definitely out there. And um, what I would say is that there's no evidence that suggests exposing kids to more than one language can cause speech and language delays. So whether or not they uh, they acquire them slowly, that 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 can I don't I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that it. it that they acquire language more slowly. In fact, research shows that their language and speech develops at the same rate as monolingual kids. So like with a child who only is exposed to English, we expect them to say their first words around 12 months. And research shows that we expect the same out of kids who are exposed to more than one language. Same thing for the two-year two words. So we expect them to start saying mommy up, or daddy look around two Mm. years. And we expect these same developmental milestones for kids who are exposed to more than one language. So slowly, I would, I don't think I would use that adjective. Okay. No, no. And I have seen myself, I mean, many kids with different pickup uh, pace, like uh, actually for mine, they definitely prefer speaking French and they would pick up English second because of course they're surrounded with French people but they would definitely hear it and then speak it a bit later but still do it whereas I had some friends they were Italian and English and lived in French speaking and the kids spoke the three straight away so kind of depends on the kids but I've hardly ever heard about someone not speaking anything right right (laughs) and and you hit the nail on the head I mean every child develops at their own pace so that, that's definitely key. It's not that every child is going to develop the exact same way as a monolingual child. There is some variation in there, but there's some gray area where I would give, you know, like, okay, if they still haven't said one word by 15 months, then I would start to be a little 
a little weary about the mm -hmm. development. So there's yeah. some there's some wiggle room. Okay. And so when I was, uh, obviously when my kids or my first kid was born and was uh, growing, I was also reading and finding insights on that because sometimes we would have maybe arguments at home about how to deal with it. Whereas whether you should, uh, I stick to my language, my husband sticks to his, or we both speak English so that he's got more English. And I've heard different theories. I mean, I have my own opinion, but what's your take on that and your recommendations based on what you see and, and read in your studies? What I've read in my studies is that it's quality over quantity. You do not need to stop speaking your home language because you might be worried that your child might be confused or anything like that. What we want is for you and all of the adults around our kids to provide quality language models. So you could speak French and Chinese and English to your child as long as you're using good grammar and good speech sounds. But like I only know ah eins German, so I would not be using German with my child because I would be providing the incorrect models and I would be saying the words incorrectly. And we don't want our kids to be thinking, okay, brot is how you say bread in German because that's not correct. It needs to have the trill and the the correct sounds and the correct grammar is what's the most important thing. So you might hear some people say one parent, one language, it's like the OPAL acronym. And that's some that's been one way that a lot of families handle that as one parent, one language. You do not have to do that. I've had a lot of parents get stressed over that because they may not understand what their husband is saying if they don't speak that same language. So that you don't have to use that theory. It's okay if you both use both languages, as long as you're using the correct grammar, syntax, and sounds and providing those good models, it, it's okay to use a variety of languages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kids are sponges. I'm sure they can. They're amazing at absorbing everything. But it was interesting uh, what you said. Yeah, quality of a quantity. And definitely, I remember for my second son, second son, when he was growing, my husband was trying to practice his French with him. Which was terrible because then he was speaking a terrible French to the kid who was trying to learn speaking. And some days I would not even understand what he was saying. Like, no, no, that, that, that cannot work. So I think we all have, you know, our job to do. And that uh, doesn't really work. Uh, can we talk maybe a little bit about develop? Because you mentioned before, but, you know, milestones in the development of uh, speech. Maybe just a couple of um, yeah, milestones that parents can see just to see if they're on track. The first, the biggest ones I mentioned just a few seconds ago are, we say one year, one word, two years, two words. So by 12 months, we expect to be hearing words. They may not have the correct sounds yet because that's a whole nother section. So I am a speech and language pathologist because they're two totally different realms that have their own milestones. So this is language right now, one year, one word, two years, two words. We expect to have that kind of language development. We want them to start having more words, more phrases, start putting more and more words together. Mm -hmm. For speech, that that is where the languages or which language they're using matters. So for English, some of the last developing speech sounds are the TH and the yeah. R. Oh, yeah. Those are really tricky. Um, as far as like for French and German, that would need to be addressed 
after I do some research because <laughs> I am not sure. <laughs> but Actually, can you in your practice do you have uh, kids speaking German? Do you speak German yourself? I, I guess it's a little bit of German, right? But what's interesting is that it does generalize. So mm-hmm. I've used for a child who speaks German and English, I do my therapy in English, but I've used her R sound in like brot. She had a great R sound and we just took away that vibration part, the brr, and then she was able to find the correct tongue placement for R in English. Mm-hmm. So they, they're great in using each other because then they can generalize. Now she knows that that R sound in English is made like this, and then you just add the to certain sounds in German. So it, it definitely helps. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what else helps to improve the speaking different sound? I mean, apart from coming and working with you, for example, how can parents support their child in developing the way they speak a bit better? My son is uh, nine and he's still, his R's when he speaks English are still quite funny. He rolls them really much, you know? I want some bread. Say example, that again. I want some bread, you know, instead oh, of bread. 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 The yes, R is yes. almost like a, a very funny R. It, that is the most difficult sound because even the TH tends to be a big problem, but that's an easy fix because you can see it. Mm. You just put the tongue between your teeth. The R sound, if you just do it right now in your own mouth, yes, it's all in the back mm-hmm. and it uses not only the tip of the tongue, but the sides of the tongue, the back of the tongue. I mean, it's yeah. so for like a five-year-old to be working on R can be pretty tricky because they have to be super aware of their mm-hmm. own muscles and their tongue. So I like to use Play-Doh and we have a lot of fun with that. Oh, But back to your question, how can we help with language development? This is where I like to just break it down super simple, label and narrate. Instead of asking a lot of questions like, what's this? Who's that? Where are you? And doing all of those questions. Instead, I like for parents to think of their kids' brains as a bank. So when they're born, we have no money in our bank, right? We have no words in our bank. Then they start being exposed to speech sounds. So now all of a sudden they start doing, because that's all they're capable of. And then as they get older and older, they start being exposed to different sounds and language and being deposited into that word bank. So instead of asking to withdraw money and asking them questions to answer where they didn't have to use what's in their bank bank that they may not have yet, Mm -hmm. deposit language into your child's brain by labeling and narrating. So labeling is like when you're at the grocery store, I love this whole wheat bread and this cinnamon roll. Can you tell I'm hungry? (laughs) And this banana, and then do that as well in your other languages that you want them to have that vocabulary too. And then narrating is more about the abstract, like emotional and feelings like, Ooh, I am super hungry right now. My tummy is rumbling or you seem very sleepy. You're rubbing your eyes at time for a nap. Yeah, I can relate to that in the way we learn a second language as well when we're like growing up as adults. So for example, I learned English at school in a very you know, contextual, I mean, not, not contextual, uh, practical way of 
in the class with the books and you were, you love, sorry, you learn new words and etc. And then I moved to New Zealand and I lived there for a few years. And at the beginning, I remember it was all contextual. So I guess it more, it falls more into the narrative part where you're in a context, you have a word that you don't know, but you understand the whole context and then you get the meaning, which means that then I don't know the translation in French, but I understand the word and I know how to use it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that kind of touches on, um, so French, if you, if your child is only learning or speaking French at home, but then they go to school and they're learning German, mm. well, then you have to realize that those German words and vocabulary is really instructional, right? They're probably yep. learning terms like adding and subtracting and language arts or whatever they are in German, whereas in French, you, they might not have exposure to those instructional or school vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So if you're wanting to balance that out, you have to think about what settings as well that they're learning and being exposed to those languages. Yeah, I think it's a very good point. Uh, maybe we can develop if you want a little bit, right? Because that's what you wanted to address, uh, language type. So for adults, it's where we work, where we go to sports, maybe when we're on holiday, different types of categories of vocabulary or, or use of words and language. And for kids, it's the same, depending if they learn French at daycare or at school. And so how do we address that? Do we just be patient and let them learn with these kind of sets of words and language type and then change it later how how best to support them and in, mm -hmm. in developing kind of like a equal balance yeah or maybe just to be aware of that i guess and and not stressing that they don't know to say bread in three languages or... right right i think that's key isn't it is is to be aware of it okay my child i'm only speaking english that which with them at home but then they're only speaking German at school. So your expectation then is, okay, well, they may struggle a little then if they have a play date with a friend who only mm. speaks German, because now all of a sudden they might be exposed to the social vocabulary and language in German that they haven't learned yet in school, right? So maybe yeah. their friend is talking about Harry Potter in German and Pokemon, but yet, those words aren't used in school. So she isn't quite sure how to respond or doesn't understand yet. And so that can cause frustration. And so just being aware of some of these situations that might arise based on their type of exposure, or like you said, the categories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry, I have my own words. No, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, in terms of exposure, so we expose to language in very different ways. I guess first we hear it and then we hear it one on one with a parent. We hear it in a group. If we're in, in a bigger group, we hear it with kids who are also learning the language. Then we hear it on TV. So all of these things, you know, and what's the role of TV, cartoons, movies, radio, songs? How do they all play a different role into helping the kids learn the language? That is a great question, especially because I feel like the pandemic really brought up screen time mm -hmm. and how bad or good or detrimental or beneficial can screen time be. And what research has shown is it's not detrimental necessarily. It's all within context, right? What can your child be exposed to if instead of a screen, you don't wanna just raise them on the TV right? It's all about a balance. I loved TV growing up and I think I turned out okay. <laughs> I think I have okay language and speech. The key is 
what they found is that it gives exposure to different vocabulary and syntax. So mm-hmm. some of the games and movies and TV shows are using language that you or your husband or your spouse may not use with your child. So they're actually helping them get a varied vocabulary and a varied language base, which I thought was super interesting. There was an example of an invitation word was used in a um, computer game where I don't know that I would use that word with my three-year-old usually. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it gives them different exposure to different types of vocabulary that maybe you wouldn't usually use. And that's one of the benefits, I guess. Mm -hmm. No, I have to say from experience with my kids and also just with general travel, for example, in countries like India, you know, everyone speaks English because they don't dub all the movies in Indian. They just have them subtitled and they watch everything in Indian and they pick up so much, uh, sorry, in English, and they pick up so much of the language. And similarly, my kids, um, you know, they do watch TV in English and so they uh, pick up a lot of words in English and even now they write, they learn how to write in English a bit earlier because through their games and they type words or Google search in English. So, uh, of course, like you say, in balance and depending on the context, how you use it, but it is actually useful. Um, and what about apps? Because I'm sure, you know, there are so many educative apps about language, learning language. So maybe, I don't know if you want to talk about learning language or the, the speech part of the language in terms of the apps, because maybe some can even hear you and hear if you say it well, I guess, and improve your way of speaking. But do you Ooh. usually work with some apps? Oh, so you're thinking of like articulation and pronunciation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know off the top of my head of any apps that would listen to your child and then give feedback. Okay, let's forget that then. <laughs> let's forget that because then okay. I don't think I'd have a job. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's not know. say that. <laughs> no, no, I don't know. I mean, like I've tried piano apps, you know, and they tell you if you don't yeah, hit the right key, yeah. they correct you. But I'm sure it exists somewhere. But anyway, I then do. It, then I bet it does. let's talk more about apps in general, about language learning. Do you use them? Sometimes recommend them? Have you seen parents using them? I use them, but they're more... Um, narrated by me does that make sense so i control the narrative so if i have them putting certain objects on the screen in a certain order because i'm focusing on prepositions so i so they might have control over the ipad and i'm saying okay give her the book that's under the backpack that right there that sentence can be pretty difficult for some of our kiddos who have a language disorder because pronouns can be really difficult for kids who are learning different languages yeah. because they and syntax because the syntax in german is different than it is in english yes so i will use apps like that but then be in control of what they're exposed to linguistically okay. so i mean you're using the app like you're playing with the app to play and talk in english to give instructions like you would tell her take the blue marble and put it behind the red sock okay exactly. but i'm okay and in terms of specific apps for learning English for kids, for example, these kind of things? The first one that comes to my mind that I actually used a lot, I haven't recently though, is abcyeah.com. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all free and it's actually by grade level. I used to use that a lot with some specific students that have now graduated speech, yay. Um, so I would check that out. It's a free website and it's all based on, um, us curriculum. 
So you can mm -hmm. do that. I think it starts at pre-K even. So it starts pretty young, but it looks a lot at like the alphabet and has a lot of um, feedback as well. So they could do that independently okay. without the adult. Um, you know, at the beginning, we talk about some of the myths that we have about multilingual uh, kids. Can we explore a few more? Like, uh, do you have a few more in mind uh, about what people think is good or is not good and that you actually want to change their perception? Um, yes. And the reason I did it is I feel like I just listened to a podcast where it was all about how you shouldn't repeat myths because then people hold on to the ah. incorrect information. Mm -hmm. So that's why I present it. So maybe let's we can like yes, play a around. game with yeah. the audience. Yeah. See if you can figure out what the myth is when I oh, tell yeah. you the fact. Okay. <laughs> so the fact was, I think I said it earlier, um, there's no evidence suggesting exposure to multiple languages is a risk factor for children with or without speech disorders. So they do not, it does not cause a speech delay or a speech disorder. Yeah, that's the myth. One. The, the, another fact <laughs> learning more than one language does not confuse kids. Yeah. Ah, another fact, language mixing shouldn't be done. That, that indicates a problem. That's a, that is a, that's the myth. That's my fault. See, this is where I get confused. <laughs> so the fact is language mixing is normal. It's a normal part of development. So you might hear a child say, I want the hound, mommy. So ah, yes, of saying, in a sentence. I want the dog, right. Oh, yes. So they might use different languages and mix them together. And that is a completely normal part yeah. of development. That and I think okay. this, is, this is very reassuring to hear you say it's normal because it's like when, uh, when kids learn to write, often they would write backwards, you know, right to left. And I, my sister and my mom are teachers, so... They both told me, you know, don't worry, it's completely normal. They all do that almost. It will correct itself. So, you know, sometimes it's reassuring to hear that um, because you might think, oh my gosh, he keeps mixing all the words uh, between French and German and he would never get it right. And um, I remember the first time I heard that I was not yet completely bilingual, let's say. I was learning English, but was still young. And I was traveling and on the plane, there was a whole school of multilingual kids. And I was just amazed how they would just start one, one sentence in French and then go to English and then back and forth, like instantly. That seems incredible. But like you say, I think it's part of the development. Part of the development, exactly. And it's what it's, it's really where the phrase come in, comes in, the path of least resistance. Some mm -hmm. words are just easier to say in other languages. Yeah. And I have so, to say, even for people who are adults, they keep doing that. Like my friends are Lebanese, they speak French and Arab, and they keep switching between the two all the time. Right. I, to be honest, I even say nai instead of no, because the vowel E just seems to be much easier for me. And so mm -hmm. you'll hear me say nai instead of no. It's just, it, it, it's, a, it's a natural human inclination to, to do the path of least resistance. So it's definitely normal. Okay, so tell me now, um, I don't know if people actually know that your practice, you have this uh, multilingual, I mean, you see a lot of multilingual kids, but what do parents come the most with, you know, when they come and see you, what in particular do they come to fix or to so work I, with? 
I work with parents for kids who are under five years old. So I do parent consultations, kind of like you and I are talking now via mm -hmm. Zoom. Okay. Because the country is so big and there's not many of us speech therapists here who ah. speak English. Yeah. Like I have one parent right now who's on the like year long waiting list at the Kinderspitzel and she doesn't want to wait for her three year old because she knows that this is such an important time for development. So I utilize a lot of video. I have them videotape certain times of the day and then we talk about that situation and I teach them strategies on how they can facilitate speech and language during that time. And then we practice those strategies. They go home, they record themselves doing those strategies. And then we meet back and we go over it again. And then we teach a new strategy. And it, it's a it's a developmental progression on we meet, we're meeting the child and the mom or dad in their own home, in their own safe space. And I'm empowering you as the parents to do this. I'm not coming to your house with my own bag of toys and then leaving with all of that. I'm teaching yeah. you how to do that with your kids and what what we can focus on. That's amazing. So you actually work with the parents and not with the kids. Um, is it something that you had to come up by yourself when the you know the, when you moved to Switzerland and your audience was different and you had all these kids with different languages compared to I guess when you first established and you had people coming into your practice and I guess COVID yeah. helped as well, right? Exactly. <laughs> I would say COVID was yeah. the the instigator. Okay. In this, but it's it's um the model in the states is where the the, the speech therapist would typically come to your home. Okay. But considering the country here is so big, but people expats and people who speak English live all over and they still need the help. So I have people mm -hmm. in like Verbier or in Valles or in Constance just all over the country who still need help and it and and just right down the road. But this mm. is still so much easier for a lot of people just to hop on a Zoom call while you might be on the train and we can chat how to help your child grow and develop their speech and language just in your daily routine. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, I'd like to ask about uh, what parents, because I think um, maybe not everyone knows what they can have in terms of support from the school, the public school, if you're in private school is different and then if they work with you, you know, what's covered from insurance, what's not when you're raising kids? Great question, I get this so frequently. <laughs> So if you're in a local school um, or like a community school where they're speaking German, they typically have a German speech therapist that mm -hmm. will be covered by the Gemeinde, that's covered by the Canton. However, those speech therapists only speak German. So if you want your child to also have it in English, then this, this kind of varies. I've had some Gemeindes pay for my services, yeah. which is awesome. I have not found any insurances pay for my services yet. Okay. I have had pediatricians write prescriptions for my services, but that kind of, it just stops there because the insurance, there's this whole disconnect because as a speech therapist, in order for the country of Switzerland to recognize you, you have to speak one of the three or four national languages fluently. And I do mm. not. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So, Okay. Yeah, that is 
the pitfall of some of the professions and yeah, some of the services that are not recognized, and it, it is a bit of shame. And uh, you know, as I'm interviewing different professions, um, we kind of fall into the same trap. But it's good to know and to understand. And sometimes, yes, you can go into the public sector, but it's got his downside, like you mentioned, of not covering just one, uh, maybe not just one language, or the queue might be very long, or then you can't choose actually the person and the quality of the services. So, but yeah. All great points. And I've had actually one of those reasons that a parent from a local school came to me was because the German speech therapist at the school had a like 14 month wait list in mm -hmm. the public school. Yeah. And so she didn't want to wait and she lobbied the Gemeinde and they ended up paying for my services. Yeah, no, but I think your approach is also very interesting because I can imagine if you're going to just, uh, I mean, often if you go to a speech specialist, you expect they do some exercises with the the speech uh, speech specialist, how to say, <laughs> um, and then, you know, you kind of forget for the rest of the week until you have your next appointment or sometimes they might give you homework, but it's probably a different dynamic than the way you do it where really the parents are empowered and know what to listen for and know what to do. So it's a very interesting approach, I find. I like to think, uh, I tell parents, um, I'm like, you're speechy in your pocket. Like if mm. you have a question, what's at me? If you aren't sure you're doing it right, what's at me? I want you to feel supported. You're not in this alone. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any final tip that you would like to share for parents here with their kids? You got this. Trust your gut. I'm a huge proponent of that. As the parent, you know your child the best. So trust your gut. If you think there's even something wrong just a little bit, reach out. I'm always here just to have a conversation if you want to. But just trust your gut. And like you said earlier, every child develops at their different pace. So you, as the as the parent, typically know if something just isn't quite right. So always listen to that little voice inside your head. Thank you very much, Liz. That Thank was a pleasure. So very useful. Uh, I'm sure that would be very useful to everyone who's listening. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye.